ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Fundamism Podcast. I'm your host, Paul J. Long, coming to you all the way from the virtual studio, aka my house. Thanks, Corona. Uh, we're doing big things, uh, but mainly through amazing relationships and partnerships. And one of those in which I'm really proud of, you guys know if you're avid listeners, Charlie Hustle. Charlie Hustle has been with us from day one. Uh, they are creating masks. They are bringing awareness to the Kansas City community. They are uh, showering people with love. And they got the hottest digs in town. So if you want to go to charliehustle.com, no matter where you live, uh, most likely if you're a Big 12 school, they got something for you. So charliehustle.com. Guys, I'm excited about today's guest, uh, mainly because he talks about something very near and dear to my heart, which is uh, the customer experience advantage. So, ladies and gentlemen, international speaker, author of three books, which we'll get into, Mr. David Avrin. Yes. Hey, what's up? What is good, David? How are you today? What? From your house to my house, everybody else's house, who's listening and watching a new level of, um, of let's call it transparency as our it's, pre- it's pretty humanizing, though, isn't it? It's very, very humanizing. People who have this persona, um, and uh, all of a sudden, we're, we're, we're real people. You have no idea what's happening from the waist down right now. <laughs> well, I'll show you what's going on from the waist down. We got uh, sweatpants here and Ugg slippers. I <laughs> there you go. All right. I got jeans. I got, yes. I got, I got flip-flops. <laughs> flip-flops. Perfect. Well, listen, uh, you are a gentleman that thrives uh, on stage, uh, building enthusiasm. Uh, you're a huge personality, from what I understand, and you. Uh, you like to have a lot of fun. So first question we start every guest with, what do you do for fun, David? You know, that's a great question. From, from a couple of perspectives, I'm one of those guys that I'm a true extrovert. I love what I do. So on the business side, every opportunity I have to be on stage and to teach and to share and to make people laugh and everything else, that's super fun for me. Um, the airplanes and everything are less so. But at home, you know, it's fun for me. For probably 25 years, I cheered my kids on in the stands. I had kids who were athletes and they were in plays and musicals and the things that I did when I was in school. So I literally <laughs> loved, excuse me, every minute of cheering on my kids. Well, now that they're older, and most are gone. We've got, we're going to be empty nesters here in a year. I'm back to doing the things that I love. And I love taking the top off my Jeep. I live just south of Denver in Castle Rock, Colorado. And I cruise around the mountains. I cruise around town. I got shorts and a t-shirt showing my, my ink on my <laughs> arm. And I love being outside. I love camping with my son. I love jeeping and doing the Jeep wave. If you know the Jeep wave, if you have a Jeep, you do the Jeep wave. If you don't have a Jeep, don't even think about it. It's and similar it, to a motorcycle wave, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, right. It's so sort of the dragging hand. But if you have a Jeep Liberty, <laughs> don't do the Jeep wave. It's not a Jeep. Sorry. It's like a baby Jeep. You're saying. <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's like Ford before they developed the Shelby. I was watching uh, Ford versus Ferrari last night. Yeah. They didn't have the best reputation going into that, uh, that transition. So, you know... Um, Interestingly enough, you and I are both speakers. Uh, I see that you've traveled all over the globe, and we were talking prior to jumping on here about 
how uh, our business has been challenged a little bit. Lots sure. of businesses have been challenged, obviously. A lot of pivots. Yeah, but you've you've really uh, thought through your perspective and your brand and your delivery methods. And from what I understand, you're far more crafty than I because you've put a lot of effort into creating a virtual studio. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that. You know what? I, I can tell you, fear is a hell of a motivator. Yeah. Uh, when you wake up in your absurdly large house and you look at your stunning wife and your overly demanding and entitled children and you get your butt to work. And so, um, and, and I assume that the recording of this will live on, but during the pandemic, we're one of those industries that kind of shut down, right? When they're not having meetings, you're not having conventions, we are all making that pivot. And the challenge is there is, and pardon my language, there's such an onslaught of crap. Um, everybody's doing it. I get it because everybody's afraid they need their income, but it's just this free webinar, free webinar, and we're all getting Zoom fatigue and everything else. And so I decided if I'm going to make the pivot, which I will, I mean, I'm very fortunate that I have, I have staff that keep me very busy speaking and um, we've got gigs in the fall and certainly into next year. Some of them may cancel, you never know. But if I'm going to do virtual I want to do it right. And I and some of my colleagues are stepping up in a really wonderful way, as opposed to just the traditional webinar, slides on the screen, you're in the corner, PowerPoint, lots of bullets. They hire me and they hire you, Paul, for the energy, for the humor. It's the content, right? We use that humor to temper oftentimes a tough message to keep it entertaining. Sure. But if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it on a high level. So I literally, because I because I have some skills that I... Um, I uh, I built my own virtual studio. So I, I framed and I drywalled and I carpeted and I thought, let's do real capability. So when I do presentations, I'm not sitting. I mean, I am for a podcast. I'm standing up. I've got a, a huge flat screen. I've got a whiteboard so I can do classroom stuff. Massive green screen. So I've been having the greatest time. Dude, with my green screen, I'm like pretending. So I did one where a client said, um, you know, we're kind of blue collar. Um, dress down a bit. You generally look pretty dapper, and I do. Um, but don't don't put on the nice suit. Dress down a little bit. So I had like a cool black T-shirt showing the ink on my arms, and the background was like a wood shop. And so I did this virtual background, like I'm like super manly, and my kids Bob like Dad. my kids are like Dad, you're so not manly. I'm like, Bob, <laughs> shut up. But anyway, to answer your question. For those of us who are charging for what we do, we provide insight and content and learning and helping businesses deal with this time and grow. Um, I think it's incumbent upon us to do it uh, on a high level and to be really professional. So I have been working hard and um, I'm loving it. Um, forever I kept saying, I'm not a virtual speaker. Well, you know what? We all are. The question is, how well do you do it? And so I've just made that commitment to my family and to my clients to do it standing up and to do it like I would normally do it and have the slides when there's slides and have a great whiteboard and things that I would do for them in person live, I am doing for them virtually live. And I'm trying to replicate um, as best I can, but also there's some advantages to things we can do multi-camera and, uh, and I'm having a great time doing it. So how long, David, did it take for you to make that mental transition? Um, and let me provide you a little context. Yeah, please. So when, when this all first started, uh, I, like you, you know, we we're booked out through 2020 and uh, feeling really good. Biggest year yet, right? Lots right. of momentum. And then boom, the rug was, was uh, slipped out from underneath us. But, you know, 
I felt comfortable. I felt good. You know, we didn't know what the future held, but I thought this is an awesome opportunity to be present with our families. We travel all the time. I'm going to help with, uh, you know, the, the, in, the in-home studenting, if you will, um, or schooling and uh, just be present with the family. And so uh, Dia, my friend that you and I talked about that she handles all my bookings and all that stuff. She was saying, Paul, you need to be thinking about how you're going to do these virtuals. And I'm like, ah, Dia, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to throw a lot of energy into it. I hear a lot of folks investing $20,000, $30,000 into virtual studios. Oh, and way more for some. Yeah. Yes, for sure. And I said, I just, you know, it takes so much to get our house ready for something, even a podcast, right? I got to send the kids right. to the pool. Uh, you know, I got, I, for me, I had to paint. I had to add shelves. I got to get lighting. And I was just like, I'm just going to ride this out. Well, I think it was a week after that discussion, David, that I was like, uh, I better start investing a little bit. So I got a soundboard. I got uh, the three cameras set up. I got all of that stuff, which mind you, the three cameras set up, David, has been on back order. It's called a Blackmagic Atom Mini for two months. I ordered it two months yeah. ago. And because obviously so many people have gone virtual, everybody, wants, webcams everybody like wants it. So my question, the very long-winded setup is how long for for, for you to make that mental transition to say, you know what, I better throw some energy into this virtual stuff. Well, here's what's interesting. Here's what I'm finding with my clients as well, is that we all, the lens keeps changing as we learn more. So at the beginning, everybody's hair was on fire. What does it mean when people are freaking out and quickly doing webinars, but also our clients were freaking out. Do we, what do we do if we have to close our doors? How do we pay our things and what programs are available? And then the next month, it was all about Let's tap into the PPP and let's tap into disaster loans and, and can we get forbearances? So our view of what was going to happen kept changing. And so, and it still is. And so even for those of us who are thinking, okay, I'm not going to make this full pivot. I'm going to make an accommodation for now, but it's a short, and then we're realizing maybe it's not a short term. And then we're realizing, yeah, it may come back, but there will always be an element of this. And so it'll be a hybrid. And so I immediately was one of the first created a demo of saying, here's all my virtual um, opportunities. It was my, what I call this, the office. I had a white screen. I have a boardroom. Um, and then of course, others replicate or do their own version of it. And some people, as you said, have spent tens of thousands to try and say, and so to answer your question, I am evolving as the market evolves. Mm -hmm. And so um, I didn't go all in because we didn't know what would be needed long-term. And so my, I have a longer view because I don't want to be a long-term virtual presenter. I think there will be an element of it. I think I do it on a high level because I made a commitment to doing so. But I look at the studio now as, okay, as the world opens up and I can get back on airplanes, as you mentioned, I'm all over the world. I've spoken to 24 countries around the world. We launched my new book, Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back. There's a plug. Um, in Delhi and Mumbai, India, I was there in December. We're in four languages and then everything stopped. So when I built my own space and I didn't spend tens of thousands because I built it myself and I bought a little bit of equipment. When I say multiple camera, it's another webcam. It's a GoPro, right? right? And things like that. So I, I did a huge flat screen, 65 inch. I got a Walmart. So I'm putting together, but I have a long view. And the long view is how do I best use this space to communicate what we do as speakers? We always say we're not selling speeches. We're selling wisdom. Right. And the wisdom can be delivered across a variety of platforms. So I'm looking at it as, okay, that's where I'm going to do my podcast. I'm going to use the green screen. I'm going to have a desk coming out. I'm going to do the Joe Rogan with the microphone down. I'm going to invite people in and interview. 
perfect. I've got the white screen so I can do whatever. I can do my YouTube live. So everything that I did is with a long view of what does the future look like? Now, this is what I talk about. And this goes into customer experiences. How have we learned to do business differently? How have we all changed? And often, and to an extent, the pandemic, I think, has accelerated what has long been prognosticated about what we can do virtually and otherwise. And so as I look at how the customers have changed and how I do business, it's not just keynote on the stage, people line up and sell books, and then I go home. Is what is the next 10 years? It's, it's the building the tribe. It's the YouTube live and the Facebook live, and it's the podcasts that are interesting. And you do an interesting podcast. I love that you didn't send over a list of questions that we're going to go through. Let's just have a conversation. So how can I use a space so that I can better align how I do business with how people consume content, which is very much in line with what I teach my audiences and my consulting clients, which is if you designed your business model 15 years ago or before, before the iPhone, understand that your customers have changed. How we do business has changed. How we expect expediency and accommodation and flexibility and access and overnight delivery, everything has changed. So I realize I have to embody that as well and I have to change how I do business. Sure. Well, one thing that I appreciate about you say it amongst many things is obviously being present and aware of the needs and wants of our clients, right? And customers. And obviously you're an individual that lives and breathes and speak on, speaks on and helps with the customer experience. And I'm sure you're familiar with Ken Blanchard's book, sure. uh, The Raving Fans, right? And um, what I find amazing is despite the fact that all of those, those modalities that you just referenced, all those things in terms of deliverables and what customers are expecting are changing. One thing has been consistent, right? And that's just the desire to be real, uh, a real relationship, authentic yeah. and transparent and communicative. And that's something that I feel like, despite whatever happens with the pandemic or technology or whatever it may be, can be a true differentiator because it is my belief that when you find that, it's so rare to me, David, that somebody is so present and real and authentic and fun in conversation that when I see it from a service perspective, I immediately gravitate towards it and I want more of it in my life. So uh, what role does that play in relationship development and, and the, our ability to communicate in your customer experience, training, consulting, and keynote delivery? When you talk about how, how rare that is, isn't that a shame? Mm. that it's rare yes. and part of it is so I was doing a podcast and the guy asked me we were talking about service now I talk about customer experience I don't talk about customer service and there's a distinct difference I'm happy to talk about it but he says David if we've been talking about this for 30 years how could it possibly be getting worse and, and it is and it is for, for a very simple reason is that there's so much that's out of our control uh, we can't control pandemics. We can't control the economy or regulations. We certainly can't com uh, control our competitors, right? So we try to control what we can, right? So if we can, we can create this path for our customer. And here's how they're going to research and they're going to find us and they're going to order and they're going to customize and then we're going to follow up and it, and it works perfectly. It's profitable because we can have a greater level of predictability of their behavior. We can have a greater level of predictability of revenue and profit. And we can budget and plan for that, right? Yeah. Here's the problem. Your customers have never read your employee manual. 
They just know how they want to do business. So I love when you talk about authenticity. You know what authenticity is? It's really understanding who they are and their tough life and their tough day and all the other choices. And, and it's not about wow moments. I have so many competitors, friends, colleagues who talk about creating a wow moment. Most businesses do not have a model that lend itself to wow moments. If you create electronic components that goes into um, an electronic you know, device, there's not a lot of wow moments. But today, here's what I preach, is that great competitive advantage, great customer experience oftentimes, is just being remarkably easy to do business with. Stop putting up roadblocks. Stop telling us that our call is important and putting us on hold for 45 minutes. It's not important. You know, you ever go to a website and, and you just have a question, like a simple question. There was no phone. There's no phone number. Right. No freaking phone anywhere. You know, they made a conscious decision. We will not let our customers call us. Hmm. Those bothersome customers. It's like, like you spend everything to get them to your website or get them on the phone and then we piss them off. And so... Um, I love what you talk about authenticity because that's somebody who just really gets it. They understand their customers. They understand why they're doing it. You're doing the best you can. I'm doing the best we can. But instead, we get rigid. For you sure. know, hey, can I can I get? Um, I want to do a chicken Caesar, please. Can I get can I get shrimp instead of chicken? I see. It. Oh, sorry, no menu substitutions. You don't do that. Why? <laughs> because they don't want to do it, and the, the cook doesn't want. You know who doesn't care what the cook wants to do? Oh yeah, everybody. This guy, yeah, right? <laughs> We're a different protein, charge her a couple extra bucks, but we say no for stupid reasons. Right. Right? But but here's what I get back all the time. If we do it for them, we gotta do it for everybody. No, you don't. Right. They're so lazy. Just do it for the people who ask. Yeah. How many well, requests like that do you actually most people get? ask? That's a great point. That's that we fall back on. So that's what's happening to the experience. Is we're getting regimented. We have a structure. We we spend a lot, of, we we hire great people, we ask them, you know, meaningful questions. Um, we look at their background, we hire them, and then we neuter them. Yeah. Now just do it this way. Just here's here's your job. Accommodate people. Can I do a late checkout? Sorry, we're not, not no late checkouts today. Um, I, I'm leaving. Like right now, I can't. Yeah, we have a conference coming in. No late checkout. This is true. This is a true scenario. Seven o'clock in the morning, I'm leaving a hotel. I need to do a late checkout. Sorry, we can't. Um, I'm leaving. I'm like speaking till noon. And they said, Yeah, we have a conference coming in. Um, no late checkouts today. And I said. Like, I, I don't get done till noon. And she says, I'm really sorry. If you, if you can't be up by noon, we're going to have to charge you for a second day. No, understand, I teach this. So I paused. I said, okay, you're going to charge me for a second day. I'll just keep the room. I mean, if I pay for it, I get to keep it. But now you don't have a room at all for your conference attendee. Is that the outcome you were really looking for? Right. Uh, right. And she comes back, um, yeah, one o'clock would be fine. You think? <laughs> you think? Right. Now, do you think, you think she wanted to say yes? Of course she did. Somebody in the back room said, oh, yeah, no late checkouts today. It's lazy. It's stupid. We are entering an age. Let's talk content. We are entering an age that will require an extraordinary level of accommodation if you're going to survive. If we say, here's how you have to do business with us, we will go elsewhere. You know why? Because we can. I was, I was in Walmart shopping for my groceries. I got I three teens here home during the pandemic that need to leave. And I've got a, a shopping cart overfull. I'm going up to checkout. The manager directs me to self-checkout. And I look at it, I said, oh, sorry, I don't work here. Now, I'm not being demeaning. I suck at this. Every item is an unexpected item in the bagging area. It took me 45 minutes. They can do in three minutes. Right. 
right? But they say, oh, no, no, we give you, it's not a choice. <laughs> One staff checkout lane with nine carts in line and 22 self-checkout. It's social engineering. Hmm. You're trying, the biggest mistake that the business makes today is they, they try to make their customers do business the way they want them to. And for a good reason, so they can have that predictability, right? We're, you're getting pushback. And we leave, the other part of my book, why customers leave, is because we can. <laughs> There's just lots of other choices. So even in my business, and I know you're the same, my job is to be remarkably easy to do business with. I'll kill it on stage. You'll kill it on stage. But before, during, and after, I am a dream. Because this is my livelihood. This feeds my family. And I made, a, and I made that commitment. Thank you. Here's your mind. Here's my... That was easy. There you go. That's the easy button. I got an easy button. <laughs> you know what? So related to what you said. So first of all, two things. I just yeah. had an epiphany moment uh, when you were talking about uh, ease of doing business and specifically how hard it is to find a telephone number on a website. So a year ago, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm coming up on, it's been roughly two and a half years uh, in my speaking career. And it's been a whirlwind. I mean, it's yeah. like, it's it's been amazing. I could have never uh, dreamed it, you know, better or bigger. Um, however, uh, it's been a learning process filled with challenges and uh, epiphany moments. And so I get the opportunity to speak to Betty Garrett. Uh, she owns a speakers bureau out of uh, out of Texas. Absolutely amazing. Early on in my career, she says, "What's your fee?" She says, "Why isn't it ten thousand? I said, "Well, I feel like I gotta. I feel like I gotta earn ten thousand. She goes, "Honey, I seen what you do." You need to up your fee ten thousand. You're losing out on customers just because they don't see you as valuable. Right. Perception like, of quality, absolutely right. right. Perceived value. She said. Secondly, I perused your website, and where's your damn telephone number? She said your telephone number should be on every single page. She told me that a year ago, David, and I still haven't done it. And it's not that I'm deliberately not trying to put it there. It's that I forgot about it. Why? Because for one reason or the other. I didn't see it as valuable in the moment or a priority, but what you just said created that moment. I'm going to go do it. So thank you. I'm going to help you, my young Padawan. (laughs) Because I've spoken uh, on the main stage for eight different international speaker organizations. And I just did CAPS in Canada in 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 December. And I told her, I said, first of all, all of you who have have contact forms on your website, thank you for putting my, my daughter through college. I so greatly appreciate it. No, dude, listen, I'm going to tell you and everybody listening, because you haven't thought about this. Your biggest source of lost revenue is a contact form. Your, the greatest source of lost revenue is the customer you never knew about. Right. 87% of people will not fill out a contact form. 42% of all statistics are made up on the spot. Do you know that? No, I did know that actually. Yes. I, I say 67, but, but yeah. Only, yeah, but only 22% of the time. That is true. <laughs> no, but listen, listen, I literally saw a statistic 87% of people, people are like, people fill out my contact form. You have no idea who didn't. Not, right. Here's the reality. And, and to be clear, I have contact forms, I have multiple ventures, but they have cell phone numbers, um, email addresses. If I could have a cranial implant, I would have it right here. <laughs> Because this is my livelihood. Here's the point. Um, I, I'm, I do international. I'm going to 24 countries around the world. My clients are all over the world. So when somebody calls or wants to talk at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm talking at 2 o'clock in the morning. They're not. I'm in a good suit. Like I said, what's happening from the waist down, you don't know. But oftentimes, we have neg- we've talked to them. We've negotiated. We have a contract on the way. 
before my colleagues even respond. Mm. Here, it, the contact form, listen, here, you want something quotable? This Please. one, here's your killer. The contact form is voicemail of the internet, right? Well, the internet. I live just south of Denver, Castle Rock, Colorado. I'm out here in the burbs. I turn on my sprinklers for the year, and we had somebody come through with the aerator, hit, broke some sprinkler heads. They're shooting straight up in the air. The water's shooting straight up. I keep saying I'm going to fix it. I'm not going to fix it. <laughs> went, went, on Craig, went on Craigslist. And I see a list of people who do sprinkler installation repair, right? I call the first one on the list. I got a voicemail. I'm out working field. I'll call you when I get back tonight. Here's a question. Did I leave a message, yes or no? No, you did not. Oh, I just called the next one. Right. And the next one. I am telling you, first of all, this is going to buy you a new Tesla. Put your phone number. On, unless you're on an airplane or on stage, they need to reach you right away. And they don't fill it out for two reasons, okay? And this is in studies have shown this. Number one, um, they don't know, um, I'm trying to re- remember what the two reasons. This was um, Rick Perry when he says, okay, the five thing, I can't remember. Oops, right? <laughs> killed, killed his presidential thing. No, um, number one is that um, they, they don't know who's, who's going to get it. Right. And they don't know how long it's going to take for somebody to get back to you. Right. Right. Because somebody else, sometimes it's the first one who answers that matches gets the job. For sure. <laughs> and I get, no, granted, I'm fortunate to have staff, but unless I'm on an airplane and now I can, you know, at least I can text, you know, or email or on the airplane, unless I'm on United and their Wi Fi sucks. Um, hopefully they've taken this pandemic time to get real Wi Fi. To enhance their customer experience? One can hope, right. (laughs) But those are things that, but honestly, on an airplane, what do you really want besides social distance from somebody else now? It's things like that. It's stupid things. I'm going to give you another example. What people are really looking for is I'm all over the map. Squirrel. Um, I'm I'm at Chicago here. Actually, we talked about this. I mentioned I have a new book. What is it? It's called White Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back. (laughs) In Forbes, it was just named as one of their top 10 of the year. How cool is that? In multiple languages. If you speak Vietnamese, it is now in Vietnamese. So you got that as well. Yeah, I'm in Chicago O'Hare. I'm having lunch and I'm sitting at the railing facing out to the concourse with people watching. And I look over and this guy goes over to the hostess who's pretty close to me, asks a question. She says, no, he leaves in frustration. A woman goes, asks the exact same question. She leaves in frustration again and again and again. And like stunning. You will not be surprised to learn that the question being asked is the number one question. We're talking about customer experience. The number one question asked at airport restaurants. You know what that question is? Do you have a table next to an electrical outlet? Oh, makes sense. Yeah. Right? It makes sense. Sure. Right. That's what I mean when I'm talking about customer experience. Customer service, we get it. Right? Service with a smile. Either get it or you don't, honestly. Right? You have, we have to indoctrinate our younger workers into our culture. But the experience is different. Is how easy are you to work with? How easy is it to find what we want? You know, banks forever. I've spoken to hundreds of Vistage CEO groups. And I would always ask the, the banker, what do you think your competitive advantage is? And they 100% said the same answer. It's this. Mm. It's the relationship. We, sure. know our, we know our customers by name. Well, what happens when 95% of your transactions are now on your phone? I, we do a gig, right? We get a, a nice check. We go to the hotel, we sign it, we take a picture of it, and it's deposited. Right. My daughter's in her, my middle daughter's in her senior year of college. She texts me. By the way, her text ringtone is a cash register sound. <laughs> she, she was home over the holidays here, this cha-ching. And she goes, what was that? 
I said, apparently it's you texting me from the couch. And she says, a cash register dad, really? I said, well, I generally want money. She goes, okay, that's actually pretty funny. But I transfer her money and not one of those transactions or interactions involves somebody asking, so what are your plans for the weekend? Banks are scrambling to look at the customer experience. Right now it's CX, right? It's customer experience, um, but it's a UX, user experience. It's CX, customer, it's EX, employee experience. It's literally walking that path and saying, that point of contact, could we do it better or faster or smarter or maybe with less friction? Can we optimize it for speed? And so that's my, that's my mantra, that's my, my crusade, is helping companies recognize that some of the things that make sense for them are frustrating for us and, um, and then make them laugh a little bit along the way. Yes. And so that leads me to the second point that I, that I took away from out, outside of the epiphany moment, get my freaking telephone number on my website. Like the second, today. <laughs> like today, like yesterday. But uh, it was that, that showing a genuine interest piece. Like that, that experience is, is such a differentiator. And let, let me give you an example. So sure. um, I, I brought up Ken Blanchard's raving fans. Uh, and of course, a raving fan is, is uh, you know, an experience it's created by something that was so big, so great, so awesome that you just had to scream about it from the rooftop. So everybody knew like you were the biggest promoter because ultimately you became a raving fan through the experience that a business or individual delivered. And so, as we mentioned before, that's a rarity that you're so enthralled that you feel that way. So I, like you, I dabble in consulting. It's not, it's not like my ideal thing because I, I like, uh, going out and meeting new people and the one hour, the two hour deals. But now and again, I'll do some consulting. And I, I just yesterday, David had, uh, the first on-site visit in three months. So three months ago, uh, we did a focus group for an organization and, uh, we were, we were, um, we aligned, we partnered together because, this particular organization wanted to create a raving fan experience and they had been talking about it. They had been, uh, you know, giving people the book and, and just consistently talking about raving fan. But we get in this focus group over three months ago and not one of the 20 some odd people in the focus group could define what a raving fan actually was. Right. So we go through this exercise, which I know that you do on a regular basis. Like pie in the sky, we delivered a raving fan experience every single time. What would that look like? Who do we aspire to be? Boom, 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 right? Where are we now? What gets in our way from creating that? Boom, 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 boom. Yes. And then how do you close the gap? So fast forward yesterday, three months later, after the focus group, we take the executive leadership team and, uh, and their board through the same exercise. And then we show the employee results. And I asked them, I said, how does this make you feel? Dead silence. How does this make you feel? Dead silence. So I said, no, no, like Joe, this gentleman, Joe, I know that you were, you, you were actually at the focus group and you expressed some frustration, but you just didn't say you were frustrated. You said, guys, I got to tell you, this is frustrating me because we've been busting our ass working on this and I feel right. like we haven't moved the needle, right? So finally, this gentleman speaks up and he says, yeah, I got to tell you, it really wears on me to see. It's not surprising, he said. It's not surprising that this is what folks are saying because it's consistent. 
But he's saying this and there's no emotion, David, like no emotion at all. And so I'm reading a book right now. My next book, of course, is Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back. I know. But I'm, I'm reading a book called The Boot and the Badass by Vishen Lakiani right now. And in it, he says, growth comes from insight and discomfort, not apathy. And so when I hear folks say, I'm frustrated, or I'm not surprised, or we want to do better, I'm like, do you though? Like, what emotion is in there? How can you, how can you create a raving fan experience if you don't believe in it? Now, all that to say, you mentioned twice now that you got ink and you've pointed to your right arm. What ink do you have on your right arm? Okay, that was a really weird question leading leading into just, all of that. Just wait, I'm gonna go there. <laughs> what I have on my right arm is images having to do with my journey. Okay. So, but it's sort of retro kind of stuff like Indiana Jones, so an old plane, and the radio symbol from when I used to do radio, and a microphone because I used to sing. And then I lost my dad about five years ago, and he was a rocket scientist. So I have this retro, cool 50s version of a rocket ship going up to Jupiter where my dad had experiments and things like that. So it's all my journey. So I just learned more about you in the last 15 seconds by asking one question that I had the opportunity to ask twice prior to, but I didn't. And so when we talk about raving fans and create an experience that's memorable and once uh, it creates a, an environment where people want to do business with you, sometimes it just boils down to showing a genuine interest and setting your agenda aside and saying, you know what? My agenda is you. You matter to me. Yeah. Well, here, what, what's interesting is there's a name for that and it's called customer centricity, customer centric. Now people confuse it and I'll, let me back up. We have historically been what we call product-centric. Product-centric means we're really good at what we do. I mean, like really good at it. And we sell it to as many people as possible. And that creates market share. Nothing wrong with that. It's a great way to... The challenge is, is when everybody else is good at what you're good at. And today, everybody's good, or at least good enough. Um, Because the internet outs underperformers. We didn't have this 15 years ago. Yelp and TripAdvisor and Rotten Tomatoes and Glassdoor and social media. Everybody looks everybody up. And so everybody's good because if you weren't good, the marketplace would figure it out. So the problem with customer centric, and sorry, I got a cough drop here in my mouth, um, is that we tend to use competency-based claims. We talk about our quality and commitment and caring and trust in people, but our competitors talk about what's our difference is the quality and the commitment. It's all about, they all say the same thing. So we don't know, we just go for price. So to what your point is, the advantage today, and it goes along the line of customer experience, is moving from product-centric, we have to be good at what we do, that's the entry fee, to customer-centric. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about customer-focused. We're all Mm customer-focused. Customer-centric really is something different. It means we're really good at what we do, but we're really good at understanding our customers on a deep level of making a connection. We understand, we call this DLOC, D-L-O-C, a day in the life of the customer. Not just what are they likely to buy, what do they do in the six hours before they came to your store or bought from you? What are their pressures? What are their hopes and fears and families? What's their internal decision-making process? What are they worried about screwing up? Who needs to look good to their boss? And so customer centricity is we just learn everything we can, not just so we know it, so that we can change how we do business to align with how they want to do business. Sure. And make their customer 
Product-centric says, how much can we sell them? Customer-centric says, how many ways can we make their life better? And some of that involves selling them stuff. Yes. We sell the right stuff. But but I think you and I are so well aligned. But once again, I think, and I give give businesses credit. Nobody's trying to piss off their customers. They're trying to do business in a tough environment and create some level of predictability. And the really smart companies are just learning everything they can about their customers and they're empowering their frontline people to do great things, not just avoid mistakes, but also make somebody thrilled. I showed up at a, at a hotel in, um, in Abu Dhabi. I had flown into Dubai and I was doing a big session in Abu Dhabi, just like an hour drive from there, a really cool city. And I get to the hotel at like six in the morning. I think I flew in at like four and I got there at six. My presentation is at two in the afternoon. I try to check in the hotel. There's no rooms. Like checkout isn't even till noon. You and I both sat in hotels for hours waiting for the text that says your room is ready. But they said, my favorite phrase, let me tell you what I can do. And so they sent me to a hospitality suite. They said, you want to go to the gym? You can shower. They brought me an iron and an ironing board and a place where I can iron my clothes and whatever else until my room was ready because I got ready. That's awesome. I didn't, I didn't demand that they have a room, um, but I love that they said, we understand your life. We understand you've been you know, traveling for 22 hours and you're wrinkled and you have digestive issues and daddy guilt and all of those things that make me real. And they were of service to me. That's what I'm doing this summer. My job is to be of service and recognize the very human people, not just what happened to their business, what's happening to them. How many of us are crazy that we love our children and we're just trying to think about how do we get away with, you know, doing bad things to them so that they will leave us alone, right? <laughs> so, but it's, but it's, it's, it's humanizing. And those who, and go back to your earlier comment, we talked about authenticity. Those who are very well aligned with that and get that, it only matters if it changes how you do business. Understanding them and being empathetic only matters if, it, it changes how you do business because of it. For sure. So one of the things, we talked about voicemail earlier. And, um, you know, this is my, for those of you guys listening, this is my first interaction with David. We've never met. We've never had a We're lifelong friends now, yeah. That's right. So we're getting to know each other as you guys are getting to know David and potentially myself. So uh, I, I really, first of all, I admire your take on the experience. I, I think you're right. We are very much in alignment of how we perceive the experience and humanizing folks yeah. in everything that we do. One of the things, um, so fundamentalism is called the, or defined as the fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle. Say it again, say it slower. Dude, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to coach here because I've been doing this for 20 years. Say it slower because it's really profound. Wow. Thank you. What is your, you're rattling it off like you said it a hundred times. It really is your value proposition. So I'm giving you the opportunity. I'm going to pretend I'm the host of the show. So, so Paul, tell me about what is, how do we define fundamentalism? David, fundamentalism can be defined as the fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle. So simply put, gravitating more towards the things that lift you up as opposed to the things that don't. And, you know, there's a million different things. So, for example, what you do for fun, i.e. driving around in the Jeep, uh, spending some time with the kiddos back in the day when they were heavily involved in events, uh, showing off your ink, uh, commanding the stage and connecting with audiences. Those are all fundamentals for you. And nobody could define your, your fun better than you. 
Well, one of the things that I find very fun or what I define as a fundamental is, is brightening individual's day or at least creating an environment where we could potentially increase that probability of it happening. So when you call me and you get my voicemail message, it says, uh, thank you for calling Paul Long. Leave your name, number, and the best thing that's happened to you today, and I'll be sure to get right back with you. Priority callbacks do go to individuals that have given the best thing that has happened to them some thought. Now, the phenomenon that takes place as a result of that voicemail is, is, is about threefold. I've had individuals, first of all, answer uh, with a, a very deliberate and thoughtful response. Yep. Had folks be so caught off guard that they say, uh, I can't think about that right now. And so get into their agenda. And then the third and one of my favorites is when they hang up all together and immediately send me a text and say, I was so caught off guard. I didn't want to do call me back. <laughs> so my point is what I've challenged myself in doing is creating this brain pattern interrupt a moment where you are expecting something, but I threw you off so much that you didn't know what to do as a result. Now, in your consulting realm, uh, when you work one-on-one with business leaders, we hear a lot of excuses as to why folks don't throw a lot of energy at humanizing the customer or showing a genuine interest. What are some of the excuses that you've heard or roadblocks to throwing energy at creating a very strong and trust-worthy uh, relationship with others. You know, let me, let me, I'm going to answer that, but I want to go back to something that you just said along the same lines, okay. which is when you said before about you working with this organization and they just, there was nothing, there was nothing, you couldn't get anything from them. There's a reason for that, is that they don't fully understand and feel on a visceral level the ramifications of their underperformance. Great right? People move off discomfort when the cost of moving off it is, is, or staying where you are is less than moving, right? For sure. People aren't going to move off discomfort until it's worse to stay there. And so what I love about your voicemail message, and ideally they can reach you by cell phone, but we're not always reachable by cell phone, is that you, you made it not just, hey, I hope you do it. They understood the ramifications. If I don't, I'm moving down the list. Mm. So that's brilliant without you knowing how brilliant that is. <laughs> not, you didn't just incentivize it. You made it clear that the ramifications of not adhering to my clever question is you'll move down the list. So people are more likely to give you something because that moves them up the list. And so what I see with organizations is the reason that they're not is not necessarily the reason they think. The reason they don't do it is because <clears throat> A, there's a comfort level and that they're being counters, their COO or others are saying, no, 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 we've studied this. This process works. This is efficient. We've done Six Sigma and Kaizen and TQM and CQI. We've done quality improvement. This is efficient. It works. Um, but what's missing in that is the human element. And what they don't realize is the ramifications of Walmart moving to firing most of their clerks and going to self-checkout <laughs> is they can look on paper at how much they saved on staff, but they don't know how many people have said, I'm not doing, I'm not checking my own stuff out. I'm going to go to a different grocery store that doesn't make me do that. Right. So one of the chapters in my book is about stop making us do your job. And so 
there was a very funny scene, if you remember, and I'm a lot older than you, in Back to the Future, when he goes back to the town for the first time, and he's looking around the town square at all this stuff that's funny because of this 1950s. And his car pulls up to the gas station, and it's immediately attacked by four guys. One of them starts putting air in the tire. The other one starts washing the windshield. The other one lifts the hood and checks the oil. And another one um, puts gas in the car. Now, I'm 56 years old. I remember that. I don't remember multiple people, but we didn't get out of the car. Somebody else started putting gas in the car and they immediately lifted the lid and checked the, and checked the oil. And I know what you're thinking. That it's hip cannot, to be there? Cannot be 56 years old. I know. <laughs> I know. What? What? But the point is, there was a lot of things that used to be done for us. I pull into at the, at the airport and they want me to tag my own bag. And I'm not, listen, I'm not elite. I just go and say, no, you're, you're better at this. And I just, well, let me, teach, I don't want to learn. I know it sounds really horrible. I'm a curmudgeon, but it has to get where it's going. I don't want to do this wrong. My son was born and he said, do you want to cut the cord? And I'm like, I think you have more experience. <laughs> like I just met him. I'm not going near him with sharp objects. I just met him. The point is, there's so much that we're, we're being pushed to do for ourselves because it makes life easier for them. Somebody convinced some doctor's office, this new technology, and you show up and they hand you and you have to enter all the information on their, you have to navigate their technology so that their, their front desk person doesn't have to do it. I'm the one bleeding profusely from the head. Stop making me do your job. But as I've been traveling around, Customer experience actually means something different in different countries. I have no idea if we're going longer than you normally do, but we're, well, we're fantastic. We're good. So, um, like I was in Bogota, Colombia. I was in in Dubai, and these big. Um, oh, I was in, in Mumbai, India. Big um, customer experience conferences, but they define it different because they're what they call BPOs, business process organizations. They're the outsource call center. Okay. So, in their mind, customer experience is the headset and you know strong accents that are challenging for us. I mean, I respect everybody because I don't speak other languages, but it's an easier way and a cheaper way for the company, but it makes it harder for us. It makes it harder to understand. Um, their whole job is how fast can we get them off the, the call in a lot of presentations about AI, about artificial intelligence. So instead of a chat feature, now it's a chat bot, right? And bot stands for robot. And so how often are the questions you asked one of those that they predict or frequently asked questions, right? They don't want to talk to you. They want you to figure it out for yourself. And my questions are rarely frequently asked questions. Yes. Right? They want you to navigate their internal HR system uh, on a voicemail tree. Please listen carefully as our options have changed. And what they really should say, if you want to talk to a real person, you can skip all this nonsense and press zero. Now they may say it, but they're not going to say it for 90 seconds. And I just think it's, 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 um, it's errant thinking because that is the antithesis of being really easy to do business with. And I, my assertion is the extra cost for those people to man or woman those phone lines, so we don't have 25, 30-minute waits, um, would be more than made up for in terms of customer loyalty, lifetime value of the customer. We will leave. We all leave if it's transactional because we can't. Because other people are good and other people are willing to give us a discount. So that's my crusade in my books and my podcasts and my videos. And I have this great initiative that I would love to plug because I think it's the most powerful work I've ever done. It's called the Customer Experience Advantage Morning Huddle. And I have this program where literally every week I deliver a seven-minute video 
and it's not motivational. It's like real content and a facilitator's guide to companies around the world. We're in four languages. We just launched in January and we're in four languages and they just gather together, turn off their phones for seven minutes and get challenged about some part of their interaction. And how, how do we do that? Oh, I hear that all the time. Well, how, what are we going to do differently? And if you go to the website, customerexperienceadvantage.com, that's it. Take a look. I'd love to show it. Shoot me an email. Tell me what you think. Customerexperienceadvantage.com. And um, this is my, my life for the next um, several years because it's, it's, uh, it's made me go deeper into the real issues that businesses face. How hard are you to get a hold of? How often do you cross a conversational line with customers or clients that you kind of think are friends and they're kind of like us and they were unnecessarily talking about politics or making a comment about something on the news and 50, 50 shot. Right. That's not going to agree with you. For sure. So we bring up, I actually did this one this week cause I've been suffering from this cough. Um, and to say that nobody wants to be near me would be an understatement though. I am COVID negative. Um, but I talked about how often do we push through when we're having tough stuff because we have this, contract with our employer. We have a covenant with our customers and clients that we're not going to burden them with our junk. You know, I show a video of Carrie Strug. You remember the Olympian running down and, and doing the vault and then on a broken foot coming through for her team. And most of what we do isn't heroic. We just, we're all dealing with crap. 100%. But we push through, right? We typically do, or we get left behind. And exactly. Right. What I, um, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about uh, alignment and our perspectives. And uh, again, we don't know much about each other, but one thing that I know that people will uh, hear, uh, and you referenced it earlier, is that we're both very passionate about what we're passionate about. And so specifically, you uh, and your crusade uh, of customer experience and, and providing some real tactical ways to challenge the norm and not ask the same questions. I love that. That's, that's one of our featured fundamentals is, is how do you create memorable interaction through a different line of questioning, right? Yeah. And so the questions like, you know, what's the best concert you ever went to? Or when was the last time you had a gut-busting laughter? Or, uh, you know, I, I know that you had mentioned that your tattoos are about your journey. What's one of the most impactful moments in your journey that helped shape your perspective? So these are all questions that could potentially allow people to be present and remember you. And so no. first of all, uh, whenever anybody ever asks me for uh, speaking advice, how do I get into this platform? What do I do? Uh, I, I, you know, I'm very good at the technical side of things. I always say the same thing. I don't care what you're good at. What are you passionate about? Like what really, what really gets your blood going? What can people hear that you truly care about? And but how let me interrupt. Let me bolster that, please. It, it's and this is the biggest mistake I think that people make is it's just that. And I know you you know differently because you have a business around this. Sure. And it's how do you connect what you're passionate and knowledgeable about with a problem somebody's willing to pay to solve? Perfect. Yes. And so we have a really interesting profession. <clears throat> as professional speakers, and we do other things, we consult and we write books and everything, but we're the only profession where most people got into the profession because they were encouraged by somebody who has no idea what the profession is. <laughs> oh my God, listen, that is, what an amazing story. Like, like you should be a professional speaker. Like literally, you could just, really, and then people are like, wait, you make, you make how much money for an, for an hour? And I'm like, yeah, I do. 
but I don't do it every hour. Right. Exactly. Great. So, and, and, but I'm a big believer in this, that speaking isn't a business. It's not. Getting the gig is the business. Yeah. Great point. You know, we love the delivery. We love the performance. We love inspiring and equipping our audience. The business is getting the gig. The business is, is the, despite a thousand, if not thousands of people in the audience, and it's great for our ego and they clap and they line up and they want to take pictures and, and 99% of our time is by ourselves. Yeah. In the, in the Uber and the chicken dinner and the, and the plane and the, and the hotel and even back in the office. Um, it's an interesting dichotomy, but this business, everybody thinks if they have an inspiring story, it's like, you're not getting it. I mean, that's, that's a great foundation. You're getting hired for what you can do for them. Yes. You know, we, we see that, and I'm not mean to the mountain climbers and the cancer survivors, whatever yes. else, and literally 55 minutes of their presentation is, is, is about their mountain climb. It's, we talk about preparation and, and having a vision and teamwork and Kenny falls into a crevasse. And so we, we do this and we want to quit, but we persevere and we get to the top. And it's like 55 minutes into the presentation and they talk about celebrating success and they look at the audience and they say, so what mountain are you putting off climbing? And then I slash my wrists under the table <laughs> because 10, 15 minutes of it should have been about the mountain climbing and 45 minutes should have been, and here's how it applies to you and your teams. Right. And here's whatever else. People yeah. think, or most people, most of our colleagues starve, is passion is very important, but you have to connect the passion to a problem they're willing to pay to solve. With very specific tactical ways to solve it, right? Because right. That's another thing, we talk a lot about the what, but very rarely in an hour do we ever how? talk about how, right? How? And so uh, this takes me to the last point that I would like your thoughts yes. on. Uh, one of one of my favorites, my own personal favorite fundamentals of fundamentalism, is putting a new spin on things. And specifically, I consistently hear that one of the challenges to living a life full of joy, fun, and fulfillment is monotony, doing the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. A very specific example is you mentioned call centers. That's where I cut my teeth. For 10 years, I was in a uh, my career culminated as the director of call center operations for a Fortune 300 insurance company. That's a tough, tough job. Good it for was you. A, it was a tough job. And that said, it was a lot of fun. Here's how I started every call. Whatever the day was. What's today? Tuesday? It's, yeah. it's a terrific Tuesday here at Farmers Insurance. How can I make your day terrific too? Now, one of two things typically happen, David. You're doing one of them. People laugh, right? The second thing is, I'm glad you're having such a great day because I'm certainly not. Now, of those two scenarios, you know who I'd rather talk to? The grumpy one because you get to turn them around. Man, it's like, it's like a puzzle piece to me because when I hit them with that, you know, David, I'm terribly sad to hear you're having such a bad day. It is my goal to lift you up a little closer to where I am now than when we first started. So how could I help turn your day around? But that's having a mindset that you are of service. Your job isn't to do your job. Your job is to help them with what they're going through. And so that's the mindset. We, we are so aligned that I, I go back to the example of the young woman with the, uh, you know, people asking about the airport, um, the, a table next to an electrical outlet. In her mind, her job was to do her job. If her mindset, and that's a cultural thing, was to build their business and please their customers, all that information would have gone to her manager. Do you know that I have over 30 people you know, every shift asking me for this. And then they consider, does that make sense financially, whatever else? But that's not happening. 
So right. even in organizations everywhere, the complaints, the size, the request that we have to say no, it's not being passed up so that we can consider it. But I love your example, and we got to be done because I have another call as well, is that, but your mindset was not just that you made a, a conscious decision that you were going to have fun. And I say that if I'm going to leave my family and I'm going to, you know, to go travel and work with clients, I'm going to have fun. I made that commitment to myself years ago. But you also have a commitment that you want to deal with that person because you know that, that you can help them. For sure. Right? You know that, that whatever they're asking for, to some extent, you can be the hero because the four people they talked to before weren't. Yes, I agree. And I would compound that and wrap up all of this conversation and something that you said earlier too with one of my favorite Queen lyrics of all time from Radio Gaga. Don't become some background noise, a backdrop for the girls and boys who just don't know and just don't care and just complain when you're not there. The reason why that resonates so much with me is when you do the same processes over and over and over again, and you give the same answers, and you have that system that you've referenced that doesn't resonate, you don't show a genuine interest, then you're just everybody else. But if you find your customer experience advantage and you showcase a genuine interest in others, well, then maybe, just maybe, you're going to find yourself rising with the cream of the crop. David, last plug. I know we got uh, not just the book, uh, but we also have the second book, Visibility Marketing, and it's not who you know, it's who knows you. You have a podcast, the Very Visible Business Podcast. Yes, just look me up. Look up David Averin, A-V-R-I-N. You'll see all this stuff online. DavidAverin.com if you're interested in a speaker virtually or otherwise. I'm your guy, and I would love you to look at my internal initiative CustomerExperienceAdvantage.com. What a what a thrill it was! I'm going to pretend like I'm wrapping up your show. <laughs> um, big thanks to, to to Paul for uh, for joining us here on the call and his fundamentalism. What a great mindset! What a great uh, approach to business. I appreciate everything about you. <laughs> it was it was me taking over the your show. <laughs> Listen, dude, this was fun. We got we to connect again. For sure. I can't and, wait, man. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, we and the Fundamism Podcast listeners, we enjoyed it very much and we appreciate you. As a listener, we couldn't do it without you. So thank you for tuning in. Go out and have some fun in your life today and challenge yourself to create some fun in the lives of others. Until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Deuces. Deuces.